0: and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. I'm joined today by Nathan Askew, who's a Chief Nursing Officer and Children's Nurse. Thank you so much, Nathan, for joining me today.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Laura. It's nice to spend some time with you.
0: So we're going to go right back to the beginning. Why did you apply to be a nurse? Why did you start the training?
1: Oh, it's a great, great question. I am um, so actually my mom used to work in a care home when I was a child. And uh, I mean it would never happen today, but quite often when it was school holidays, we'd get taken along and sat in with the residents while she did her shift. Uh and I think it gave me a
0: multitasking.
1: Really good... <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it gave me a really good opportunity to see how um the impact of how people are cared for and supported with their independence could really have on them Uh, and then she moved into working for what was mencap at the time with uh, residential homes in the community for people with learning disabilities and we seemed to spend even more time there and it really um, gave me a different perspective so rather than care of the elderly it was really focused on young people and independent living and I think those two things together uh, made me start to get really interested in the difference that you can make um, to people's lives not just when they're ill but uh, throughout their lifespan. And so I decided to go off and be a nurse.
0: And also never too young to start work experience, apparently. Definitely. <laughs> it all helps. Um, so you've done a variety of clinical roles and managerial roles. This is their leadership series. What advice have you got for anyone from a leadership point of view? Oh,
1: so um, lot lots of things really. I suppose that I've learned along the way. I think the um the most important thing for people in a leadership position to do is to really nurture and spot talent. I'm a firm believer that I'm only in the job that I'm in today because of all the people along the way that um, saw some potential in me and gave me time, opportunity, uh, advice, lots of advice, and developed me to be where I am now. And I think the um the other thing is to really ensure that you do take all of the opportunities that are given to you. So I am a children's nurse and most of my career has been working with children, young people, which is absolutely my passion. Uh, but I did do a job where I was in um, moved from a, a specialist children's hospital to a large adult um, teaching hospital. And when I was there, I was responsible for an absolute Um, myriad of services so I did have children young people's nurse in there but I also had maternity uh, sexual health um, and HIV medicine I had um, private patients for adults dermatology gynaecology basically anything that wasn't medicine and surgery sat in my division and that was a really brave step for me I think because I'd always always worked in specialist children's units and specialist children's hospitals so taking that leap of faith um, was was really challenging, but actually it did amazing things for my career. So while I was there, not only did I um, help merge two organisations together, get loads of additional leadership and management experience, but I also worked for NHS. Oh, I also worked for NHS England uh, one day a week, uh, reshaping children's services across Northwest London. And I think doing that sort of leap into a much bigger organisation really gave me um, a, an accelerated insight actually on my leadership and management journey. So I think that's the other thing. If you're in a leadership role, particularly children's nurses, lots of hospitals um, have departments that the, the, the most senior nurse might be an 8A or maybe an 8B. Um, and so sometimes you do need to step out of your professional background um on your leadership journey to really help yourself um grow and develop uh, and then I've come back now to be a chief nurse of a children's hospital and I'm like think I've got the best job in the world but had I not done that move previously I really don't think I'd be where I am today.
0: And that's a really good bit of advice I think e- even when we talk about within specialities within um one of the fields it's so easy to go, I'm oh, my background is in intensive care, so it's so easy to go, oh, I'm an intensive care nurse, I can't give an opinion about ED or a ward, but actually we can, we've, we've got those complete transferable skills and I guess it's the same, you know, from your previous role to then going into kind of the adult massive leadership position, so many transferable skills and knowledge that you had from your previous experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm a surgical nurse by background. So I like everyone to stay for a couple of days, uh, get better and go home again. And that's my sort of experience. We have a
0: pathway. Absolutely. (laughs) I
1: like to be able to tick a box to say they've achieved the goal for today. Yeah, Um, it makes
0: me feel like I've achieved something. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And then it's really strange then, because then you go into a big organisation or you move into a, a leadership role. And, you know, I was responsible for palliative care, spiritual care and bereavement services. And that was something that I hadn't had a lot of experience of um, working with children. And and so that was a huge learning curve for me. Uh, Managing a mortuary was, you know, an absolute nightmare because I had no idea really what I was doing when I started. But I think that's the other thing. People often feel that they need to be an expert in their clinical um, professional background. But actually, we employ and work with people who are those experts. And I think the real key as a leader is to um, be able to listen and to take on the information from those experts and then form an opinion. I mean, I think my job mostly is to bring the right people together to have a discussion and hope that together we can make a collective decision. And where we can't, it's my job to make the decision based on the understanding that I've got. Um, But I always think as a leader, if you can empower the people with the knowledge and skills to collectively come to the the decision together or the outcome or the plan, then your job really is to support people to be able to do that. I think the other really important thing as a leader is to use your voice, to give a voice to people that often um, are underrepresented or don't have a voice. So I'm really... Proud in my role at the moment, I'm the chair, um, sorry, the exec sponsor and support the chair for our LGBT um, QIA uh, group at, at Alderhay for our staff, which is brilliant. Uh, and I also support our armed forces co- community, um, who are, I thought was really quite a small number, but we've got over 100 staff that work in the reservists or are veterans in the armed forces. So I think being being able to support them is really important. And actually, you know, frontline nurses don't get a chance to put their opinion very often to the board of hospital or to the people who make the decisions. So my job really is to advocate for frontline uh, people that I work with, but also the profession to make sure it's got a really strong voice at board level. And it doesn't matter whether the decision is about something clinical or financial or anything else that we do. You know, it's my job to put forward um, the representation from the profession as well.
0: And I think when we look at leadership positions, I think in other professions or jobs outside of nursing, people wouldn't expect that they have to be an expert in order to be in that leadership position. As you said, my sister's in a kind of a cor- a very, very, very corporate job. She would never expect to be the expert in everything. She's she's, the arm just a facilitator to get the answers. And I think you raise a really good point. I think a lot of nurses can discount themselves from roles or applying for different jobs because they think, oh, I haven't done leading a mortuary you know i haven't worked in one it's like well yeah actually you don't need to um that's why you've got those experts so that's a a really fantastic piece of advice that i think will be so relevant to lots of people
1: yeah and I, i think as a profession actually we're really not very good at celebrating how fantastic we are so um, you know my my colleagues that I work with all the time they're they're, they just think they're doing their job they don't realize the amazing impact that they're having in whichever way that is so I think we as a profession can be quite subservient because we just believe we're being ourselves we're being authentic and we're delivering great care Um, but actually I think it's really important as you say to to recognize the personal impact that you bring because. Um, nursing I always think has got a science and you learn that at school but actually the art of nursing is um, re- working out how to give that drug against the policy but in a way that this individual child or young person will take it or how we will minimise the impact of a procedure on someone because actually that isn't A plus B equals C it's million combinations and the individual you as a professional brings so much to that with knowledge skills and experience but also that that artistic flair of delivering nursing to children and young people which is which is brilliant actually it's been the cornerstone of my life and I love
0: it you know I think you must have been sat in one of my lessons last week I had this whole rant with my students about art and science of nursing and why why did it have to be one what why do we have to be in that really clear picker lane why would we want to discount the other half of our profession and the skills that we all have and you're right no patient or relative or anyone is going to go do you know what? She was fantastic at working out that dose. Like she didn't that didn't work. Wasn't he fantastic? Where actually, yeah, they're going to remember how you made them feel, or how you how you got them to take the medication, or not, or you know, manage that care in a person centred way. Um And that's something that we, yeah, we need to remember. is not a given, is it? It's it's not a, a standard thing. That's something that we will develop as as professionals ourselves.
1: Definitely. And it's so true. People never remember necessarily the words that you say, but they'll always remember the way you made the the way that you made them feel. Um, And I think that's really important. You know, I always say to um, some of our junior colleagues when they join us, you know, you're two things in life you only ever do once is be born and die. Right. Many other things you get a second chance at. and it's an absolute privilege in our profession to be there at both ends of the, the spectrum within life. Um, and people will always remember the way that you made them feel the, the same way, as you have just said, you know, how you got that reluctant child to take medicine or how you got that person who didn't want their bloods taken to be able to go through that procedure and feel safe and comfortable with it being done, even if it wasn't their favourite thing in the world. That support that we give on a day to day basis, I think, is what. It was it's what really sets nursing apart actually from all of the other wonderful professions that we work with in the health service it's the time we spend with patients and the connections we build no one else spends more time at the bedside um, and it's really important in a leadership role actually to remember that you know when you're when you're having a clinical ethics committee or conversation for example why wouldn't the bedside nurse be there because everybody else has spent some time with that family. But those nurses who work, you know, around the clock, 24-7, spend every minute with that family. So it's really important to, in, in my role, for example, to make sure that those opportunities are there for the staff who day-to-day are sitting alongside that ch- child or young person and their family.
0: Um, and you've also studied at master's level, so you've done an MSc in advanced nursing practice. Did you always know that you wanted to go on to do a master's?
1: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, so one of one of the things that is um, not many people know about me, but I'm very open about talking about, is um, I was I was quite a, a a brain box of a child. I was very into school and actually found school really easy. It didn't challenge me at all. However, when I was about seventeen, I went completely off the rails. So I predict, predicted five A stars at A level, and I got a D and an E. So I had a bit of a bit of a life shock to be honest, because until that point I'd coasted through uh, and then went a, a little bit um, not to plan, shall we say? So actually from then on, I always found studying really quite challenging. And when I went to uni, I was really fortunate. I did a diploma course. You know, I always tell our newly qualified um, nurses when they join us, I actually wouldn't qualify to be a nurse today. I wouldn't have got into university. Um, And I was really um, I think I was really lucky, actually, to have that experience to go through the diploma route. Um, And I did struggle through university just getting my diploma. I think what helped was actually being able to do my BSc as while I was working. So when I got my diploma, which is all the stuff you have to do, you know, the science of nursing, actually, when I did my BSc, it was um, paid study leave and I was able to pick the modules that I wanted to do. And because I was really interested in the topics, it sort of clicked into place. Um, And I never actually wanted to get a master's. It was never on my list. I was quite happy to coast along having got my BSc. Um, But actually, what I did want was to explore having a uh, clinical uh, career uh, to be an advanced nurse practitioner. And actually, you can't do one without the other. So after much um, uh, deliberation and uh, lots of conversations with my matron at the time, I decided to sign up and go for it. So I found it really interesting and it was brilliant to be doing a clinical and academic course. I think that really worked for me. Um, I did have to take a little bit longer to complete it than some of my peer group, because actually I found doing two modules at the same time really challenging. So, you know, one morning you'd be doing your pharmacology and biology and then in the afternoon you'd be doing clinical examination. And my brain wasn't able to switch from the academic focused uh uh, module if you like to the clinical so actually only took uh, only took me an extra year but that really helped and I think a lot of people go on a prescribed pathway through academia and don't realize that there's loads of stuff you can do as long as you talk to your personal tutor or your course leader to be able to make work and life fit together Um, and I think that's what it was you know I, I was in a I, I started my MSc on the day that I became a ward manager for the first time or a ward sister wow. which was really unexpected and I didn't apply for the job I was I was put in because there were some challenges in the clinical area and I was asked to go and cover it so I'd set up this whole career of going off to be an AMP and then was hoiked into a nice. traditional <laughs> leadership <laughs> position and um, and, you know, and it was, it was brilliant, but actually balancing a, a new job with a lot of responsibility with a really quite challenging academic course with just trying to have a weekend to yourself to do what you want. It took a lot of um, dedication. I remember, you know, sitting on the uh, floor of my flat at the time reading pharmacology books and going, oh, I don't understand a word of this. And that was my Saturday for about six months. However, I tell you what was brilliant was the, the people that I... Was on my course with and the lecturers that supported me somehow managed to get enough to go in that I could qualify and get my degree and again I think when you can do um the nice thing about a master's level is that you might be set an assignment but actually quite often you pick the subject area and so you know one of my best academic pieces of work I ever did which I did go on to publish was around um stenosis in children and young people which was just something I saw every day in work and no one could ever tell me why it happened. Mm. And I thought this is, we, and the answer is we don't know. Uh, but it was really interesting to go away and look into some of the things that sit around that. And um, honestly, I got such a great mark for it that all I had to do was change the title and put it in for publication. It went oh, straight yeah. through. It's <laughs> like, I was like, I've made it now. From this, this, this young person who had no interest in actually even going to university and had messed his life up to doing a... A module at MSc and get them a paper out of it. I thought, well, you, you've come a long way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you, what you've said is a really good point between kind of undergraduate and postgraduate education. I found my undergraduate so much work, like I had to put so much effort, and then I found all my postgraduate stuff. I've still worked hard, but it's found it's been less. I don't know if painful is the right word. Um, I've enjoyed it a lot more. And I think it's because it's what you're doing day in, day out. And it's that, is that why I see that? Or is that why that patient had that sign or symptom or something? Um, I think it's quite easy to say, oh, I wasn't academic or I'm not, I wasn't good at academia or I didn't find my degree easy and then kind of write ourselves off in terms of postgraduate education. Um, And also being flexible. Universities are so flexible in terms of postgraduate education and there is that fixed plan but there's always wiggle room in the plan
1: yeah absolutely and I think um I think you do get an awful lot of support as well I think the the only thing with it is because it's um a lot of the work is self-directed so so I mean I'm great at doing nothing I love doing nothing okay so uh, if I've got the choice of doing nothing or doing some academic work I'll always pick do nothing um but I think the rewards are bigger so I think actually it's about I was because I I sometimes read dissertations and things for people before they go in. Um, or they submit them because I did teach the MSC course for a while, uh, which I really enjoyed. I mean, I mean that's funny in itself, isn't it? Someone who didn't even want to go to university and ends up lecturing on a <laughs> master's level course, which is bonkers. Um, but I I do think it's about finding the niche. You know, I really struggled with the non medical prescribing because at the time that was only um it was generic. So actually, all we would talk about would be. Uh, COPD for example so we'd spend a whole session doing COPD which you do not see in children Mm -hmm. and then it clicked with me I thought well we don't see COPD, but actually principles are quite transferable to asthma. So if you then start to look at the condition through a slightly different, or look at a different condition through the same lens, you end up becoming interested in the topic and then it makes sense. Um, And I know loads of work's gone on that now because I am actually quite old. So, you know, there there are children specific elements of the programme now, but I think it is about looking in the stuff you have to do. There'll always be stuff in life that you don't want to do. My job is filled with that every single day, but you have to look for, I sound a bit like Mary Poppins here, but you have to look for a little, bit of fun in every single job that you have to do because some of the stuff you will love all right and some of the stuff you just have to do but even have to do stuff you know me and my team have a real focus on using humor because we recognize that there's a good part of leadership roles which are prescribed and nobody's idea of fun is going off to conduct a uniform audit on a Friday or something but actually <laughs> it's a great opportunity to talk to staff and find out what's going on in their world and to be able to engage with people. So I just think, look for the fun in everything you do, because there's got to be some, or if you can't find the fun, why are you doing it?
0: Yeah, we can find some fun, reframe it. I think that's got to be important. Um, So you're also the chair of the Association of Chief Children Nurses. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about the work you do with that organisation?
1: Yeah, I'm really proud uh, of this role, actually. And um, I've been doing it now for uh, just over 18 months. Uh, so you, the association's changed quite a lot. It used to be, it's been around for very long time actually coming up to 100 years but it um it used to be quite an elitist organization so had lots of rules around it so you had to have at least 100 children's beds to be able to join you had to pay a membership fee uh, and it was a great opportunity for senior children's nurses in the country to come together and to work on improving practice commission research and really support um the senior leaders for children young people's nursing however during the pandemic which was sort of towards the end of the pandemic or towards the lull in the pandemic depending on your your viewpoint was when I took over and what we really realised is there's there's uh, senior children's nurses across the country and in some organisations that may be a band 7 ward sister of one paediatric unit is the most senior children's voice in that organisation or it may be a matron that covers a, a few wards and departments uh, and actually they were getting no support so we opened our membership now to be any Uh, sorry the two most senior children's nurses in any organisation in the UK and we do have members from all four countries now which is fantastic Um, and we have reset our our aims and objectives really so the membership is open to all and it's free we meet every month for um, a support call so it has no agenda uh, which is always quite brave to chair a meeting with no agenda but anyone can come on and ask a question and it may be as simple as Has anyone got a job description for x specialist nurse I need one or it may be I'm really struggling with x and y can we talk about this you know we talk a lot about children and people's mental health and the challenges there at the moment, as well as uh, lots of other things that have been in recent news. Um, So we do that support call then once a quarter we have a professionals meeting which is agenda and we invite speakers to come and share uh, either innovations in practice or uh, things that are interesting for our members. And that generates also a lot of discussion. And then once a year, we hold a conference in Birmingham, which is always in September. Uh, and we always try and make it uh, quite challenging in its topic. So it doesn't have a theme. Uh, but uh, two years ago, we did a, a really good session on children and people's mental health in the acute hospital setting. Uh, and then this year we really focus really good discussion on uh, gender identity services and the way that they're changing across the country Uh, as well as you know some other stuff that supports our leaders so we had a great session on kindness you know just how important it is to be kind to well primarily yourself but also the people that you work alongside and you know a big takeaway for me was when people aren't being kind actually they're making a choice not to be kind so what is it uh, that's driving that choice usually someone's either feeling insecure about something or they're having a something outside of work which is spilling over and actually not punishing the behavior but getting underneath it is so easy to do but not the way that most of us usually respond so sorry just a little <laughs> tidbit to share for everybody there I'm, um,
0: I'm making notes <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but yeah the association's now got 195 members as I said from all four countries in the UK uh and it's 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 a real privilege honestly it's it's brilliant to work with people who you know our most junior members are in that band seven role and uh others are you know chief nurses of independent children's hospitals and, and everything in between so it's a real mixed bag uh, and I love it. It's brilliant.
0: And last couple of questions. What advice have you got for any newly qualified sort students at the moment?
1: Uh, do you know, um, well, so to students first and foremost, enjoy the time that you have. You know, I would love to go back to being a a student and having that supernumerary or supervisory time where I can spend time with patients. You you never get that opportunity again in the same way to be able to sit with a a child or young person or their family and not not talk about their condition, but understand them in the context of their health and and how that impacts on them. So I always say to students that work work with me, you know, I should never see you sitting at the desk with a magazine when you're a student, because actually it's, you're wasting precious time that you'll never get again. It doesn't mean you have to be cleaning the sluice every five minutes. And it doesn't mean you always have to be going to pharmacy. But if you are ever bored or don't have a job, sit with a patient and talk to them. Um, it, it's priceless. So that's my number one tip for students. Then when you qualify, um, brace yourself for... The culture shock. Okay, so you will be told this from everyone and you won't believe it, but I have never felt so useless actually would be the word that I use that in my first six months being qualified, because I went from a very capable student, I was always very good at my practical stuff, uh, to being qualified and thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so so brace yourself for that feeling and it does go away. Uh, the other thing I always say when I do the induction for our newly qualified nurses is, is you will make mistakes. They may be small, they may be quite big sometimes. Actually, the important thing is that you learn from the mistakes that you make uh, and use it as an opportunity to be better. Um, I I made a terrible drug error. The child was fine, but I made a very silly uh, drug error within my first year of being qualified. And I have no problem with telling people about that. What was brilliant was the way that I was supported after I made that error. Uh, and actually, you know, the learning for me was if you're opening more than one vial of anything, it's probably wrong because a vial is usually an adult dose. Right. So another little tidbit for you. Um, and it stuck with me my entire life. And any time I've done a drug calculation and opened two of some of them have gone and got it checked and rechecked and rechecked. And sometimes you do need two or more of something, but usually you don't. So, ever that you're doing that, make sure you go and get it checked. So, yeah, you will make mistakes, learn from them, and more, most importantly, come back the next day, right? The people who, um, for whatever reason, take time off after they've made an error. Uh, and sometimes people do need to do that, but people who avoid confronting coming back often find it much harder when they do. So, as long as you're safe to come in, And as long as your mental health is okay to be at work, be at work. No one's going to think badly of you because the story I've just told, I absolutely guarantee you every nurse with a PIN number will tell you they've made an error at some point, you know, or been shouted at by a parent or, you know, we we all have horrific days, but when you have a horrific day, the most important thing to do is to come back in the next day and and learn and carry on because you will be an amazing nurse. And I always say to everyone, I never learned anything in my life uh, from the stuff that went well. Everything that makes me the person I am today is from when I've messed up and done things wrong.
0: That's true. Very true. And last but not least, what are your career aspirations? What do you see yourself doing in the future? Well, I'm
1: I'm pretty all right for now. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's not a very good question because like you're doing it all. I don't think actually there needs to be like a...
1: <laughs> no, it, it is a really good question. And I, I'll be dead honest with you. I have no idea because... I never, ever dreamt of being a chief nurse. And I feel really privileged to do it. My, my goal in my career was to be a ward sister, award ward manager of a children's orthopaedic and spinal ward. And I did that at 26. So everything I've done since then um, has never really been on the career trajectory and plan. Um, I've got no aspiration to be the chief nurse of England. I have no aspiration to be a chief exec. I am really proud of the job that I do. I really love the job that I do. And I'll only ever think of doing something else if either of those two things change. So uh, not possibly not a great answer, but a very honest no. answer.
0: No, we love an honest answer. Thank you so much, Nathan, for your time today and for giving some amazing pearls of wisdom for everyone listening. Um, I've learned a lot from today. So thank you so much. That's great. Thanks so much. <laughs>